members of Good Shepherd Congregation, family and friends that have gathered here today, those that are not able to be with us and are with us certainly in spirit and uh, literally on YouTube, Scott in Florida, Cindy in Oregon, Pam and Pat, and especially to you, dear Arliss. Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most famous psalms and opening lines in all of Scripture. Can't number how many hymns and songs have been written about or based on that particular psalm. We sang one just a few moments ago. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to read Psalm 23 at the bedside of someone before they go into surgery, after they come out of surgery, when they go on hospice, when a loved one has passed, was nearly 25 years ago, just shortly after I arrived here at Good Shepherd, was making a hospital visit on one of our members. don't even remember which hospital it was. And I did the devotion on Psalm 23. We read it. We sang it. You've heard it. One of the area clergy, a retired pastor, some of you remember him, I'm sure, fondly. Pastor Harold Stelzer, was listening out in the hallway to my devotion. And Pastor Stelzer greeted me out in the hallway, and he says, nice job, young man. And then I knew something was coming. And he said, I never read Psalm 23 unless I follow it up with John chapter 10. Our gospel reading for today. Pastor Stelzer was right. Apart from John 10, Psalm 23 can become nothing more than a trip down memory lane or a sentimental journey. It makes us feel good to have in our mind this picture of a loving shepherd caring for the sheep, green pastures and quiet waters, the brave shepherd chasing away the, the wolf or anything else that would bring danger to the sheep. And it's all too easy to leave it right there. Our Good Shepherd has a name, and his name is Jesus. It is not some generic shepherd out there. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. And he doesn't leave us with this serene pasture picture. 
He teaches us exactly why he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Shouldn't come as a surprise to us that Psalm 23, and all of Scripture for that matter, is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All the way back in the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and brought sin and all of its consequences crashing down on us, God gave a promise. A promise that one, one would come, the seed of a woman, who would crush the serpent's head once and for all. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, God again and again and again through the prophets and the patriarchs gave that promise each time with more detail. The Savior would be a king. The Savior would be a descendant of David, the shepherd king. The Savior would suffer the Savior would rise from the dead. The Savior would be born of a virgin. The Savior would be born in a little obscure town called Bethlehem. And when the time was right, when the time had fully come, God does as He always does. He kept His word. He sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, the law that condemns all of us, to redeem us, to buy us back once and for all. It's interesting that the first announcement after Jesus is born, certainly he was announced to Mary and then to Joseph, but the first announcement after Jesus is born is to shepherds. Luke 2, Christmas Eve stuff. While shepherds catch, kept watch over their flocks at night. Can you imagine the scene? The shepherds watching, guarding, protecting their sheep. It's pitch black. Why? Because there are no street lights, there are no airplanes flying overhead. It's dark, it's black, it's lonely, it's quiet. And all of a sudden, the lights come on. An angel. An angel is there with an announcement. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that is for all people. Today, in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. And this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in diapers, swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly, as if that wasn't amazing enough, the whole sky is full of angels. The whole heavenly host is there singing glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth.
it was just as the angels had said. A descendant of the shepherd king, born in the shepherd king's town, the savior of the world, a sign to you, a savior to you, our shepherd king, Jesus Christ. That baby grew up under the law just like us, but he never sinned, not once. The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't have to die. But remember what the good shepherd does? We heard it in our gospel reading. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him. Jesus, the guilt and iniquity of us all. All of our sin, all of our idolatry or false gods, all of the times that we thought we had better words than God did, all sin for all people for all time, laid on Jesus on Calvary's cross. It is finished, he boldly says before he gives up the ghost, he dies. And then three days later, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Proving that everything Jesus did, his ransom payment for our sin is acceptable and pleasing to our Father in heaven. The good shepherd could ask all kinds of money, work, prayer, activity. But the Good Shepherd gives it all away. He pours out Good Friday and Easter to us in the waters of holy baptism. He speaks His words of love and forgiveness into our ear. He calls us his children, his sheep. He speaks his tender voice to us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The first sheep that I met almost 25 years ago when I came here to Good Shepherd, was Roger Kettleson. I talked to him many, many times on the phone. And when I got here to Lincoln, even though I couldn't figure out where the church was, he met me at the front door. He helped carry many of the books that we had loaded in our minivan. Little did he know it was just the first of about five trips of books. And when we got to just about the end, he asked, as pretty much everybody asks, have you read all these books? I didn't know it at the time, but pretty much 
every book he ever touched, Roger read. We struck up a really, really good friendship. Even before day one, as we talked on the phone, he told me of Good Shepherd, how the congregation had been without a pastor for nearly five years, how difficult the vacancy had been, how he and the members of the congregation were excited about someone new coming, even if he was only just a vicar. It was fun. It was exciting. And then, after I got here, reality set in. We didn't have many people. We had a tiny little multi-purpose room. Church was at 9 o'clock. And many times Roger would say, just wait. Just wait five more minutes before we start. Maybe someone else will come. Some of you remember those days. Roger would talk about them often. And then, by the grace of God, when a few more people did come, when we had to add chairs, we had a, group, a chair set in circle for Bible study, and we had eight chairs because six people stayed for Bible study. We had two empty chairs. Roger was beside himself the day we had to make the circle a little bit bigger and bring in two more chairs. Oh, how he loved this congregation. Oh, how he loved the people of this congregation. Oh, how he wanted this congregation to grow. And there were many times when I had to remind him, Roger, we confess in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. He goes, yes, 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 I know that. And I said, well, then hear it this way. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength make the church grow. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. When we went from one service at 9 to two services at 8 and 10.30, Roger was ecstatic. You know what he did? He went and rooted around and rooted around and said, you know, years ago, years ago, we talked about this little multi-purpose room being the first step to building a big church and a complex and all that. I'm going to find those plans. And he did. And he did. My friends... Roger's priorities were right. He loved his wife and his family first and foremost. That flowed from loving his good shepherd who laid down his life for him. 
and the word of the good shepherd. And then, he loved his friends. He loved his church. He loved to read. He loved to garden. He loved to take pictures. All of these things. He was happy and joyful at life. Why? Because he knew who he was. A sinner, a poor, miserable sinner that had been graciously forgiven and redeemed by the blood of the Good Shepherd. And it set him free. It set him free. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. John 8. My friends, I could go on and on with the memories that I have with Roger in this congregation. After a while, Roger and Arliss moved away, moved to Arizona. A whole new chapter in their life, and we kept plugging here, preaching God's Word and ministering God's gifts. What a joy when they came back. Well, I don't think the winters were a joy for them, but it was a joy for us here at Good Shepherd. And for the first few weeks, maybe even a couple of months, able to just kind of pick right up where things left off. But that didn't last very long. It was really hard to physically come to God's house for a lot of reasons. Health issues, Hearing issues, sometimes even a bathroom issue. These things all are very real. And so, when they couldn't come to church, the church came to them. And how many times we sat in your living room and told old stories and talked about all kinds of things I reminded Roger that after he helped unload my books, he said, you know, Pastor, I've read the book of Concord. And I said, that's really cool. Have you done it in the last 20 years? And he said, no. And I said, let's read it together. And we did. What an awesome, awesome man. And what an awesome, awesome memory. The last seven or eight times I saw Roger, mostly at the old Cheney rehab, he knew that this day was getting closer and closer. Our visits, while they were always joyful because Christ was present in word and sacrament, our visits took on a different tone. What's heaven like? Will I recognize the people who have died before me? Will I know my mom? The very, the very real questions that all of us have. 
Now, I could have waxed on or given him my opinion, which would mean nothing. But to be able to share with him time and time again the words from Revelation 7, where God gives us that, that glimpse of heaven and the grand and glorious family reunion that awaits for all who cling to Jesus in faith. A place so grand and so glorious that God describes it mostly in negative terms. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death, no more tears. And on this All Saints Day, I would just say to all of you, imagine what Roger is seeing now. My friends, what a, what a great picture for us. And it's a picture that we've recounted every time we had the Lord's Supper together. When Roger would hear those words of the liturgy, therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, all the company of heaven, Everyone who has ever lived and died in the faith, all the company of heaven. That number has one more. Roger Kettleson. I suppose today we could say St. Roger. He'd be the first to tell you he was no saint. He'd also be the first to tell you that God made him a saint by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus. My friends, that's Roger's legacy. Cling to it and remember these words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Follow the good shepherd. He has laid down his life for you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our lives, and even our tears in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.